You are now tuned in to the Believers Podcast, bringing you current updates on your Chicago Bulls. Hosted by yours truly, Keith Franz, aka Bull Scripted on Twitter. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. Johnny Cash would greatly explain how watching the Lakers game felt. Despite only losing by seven points, it was probably one of the hardest losses of the season as our backcourt had one of their worst games of the season for Chris Dunn, quite possibly the worst game of his career as a Bull at the least opportune time. The Bulls really needed to steal a win on this road trip after getting their ass handed to them by the Warriors and the Blazers that have put up a great game against Indy and a good game against the Jazz. But in between that, we've got our ass kicked. The Lakers played extremely sloppy, but Lonzo Ball stepped up while Chris Dunn faltered. Given the fact of how much crap I give Lonzo Ball, that was a hard bullet to bite. And in the same night, I actually had to praise Jabari for going 7-10 and putting up 18 points, showing solid effort on defense, and being probably the most productive player in a short stint, which was nice to see for the Bulls, one, because we could really use a win at this point. And with only 38 games remaining and 10 wins currently, they're not going to hit 25 wins. So we do need to start seeing some progress with Boylan's offense and the team once again, going to be having a different starting lineup because Wendell Carter Jr.'s day-to-day with a sprained left thumb. Who knows what team comes out in the next game? Does Robin Lopez start? Does Bobby Portis start at the five? Do they move Lowry to the five and put Jabari as the starting four so BP can come off his natural role without having to worry about sharing with Jabari? It should be interesting to see what they do. But... I kind of have to debunk some of this Boylan complaints because in stats, and obviously I, I agree with the eye test, it's been ugly in the six games that they had together healthy outside of two, so one was blah. So that's not a good start. But for the most part, the shot distribution has been the way it should be outside of Lowry not getting enough shots on given nights, but for the most part, the shot distribution has been good. And when the Bulls perform the best, Zach and Lowry both take over about 15 shots and Wendell and Chris are right around nine or 10. That is what we want to see from the Bulls. We've seen Chandler Hutchison step it up since Holiday has been traded. These are really, really hysterical numbers. Since being traded, the five games that Holiday has played for the Grizzlies. He is 5 of 29 field goal and 1 of 15 three-point with 20 points total. Chandler Hutchison has 43 points on 19 of 40 field goals and 2 of 7 three-point. So that is hilarious. Hutch has been improving. Clearly the numbers would state that as a starter. He's been a little bit more aggressive, a little less hesitant on the trigger. So though he's only made 2 of 7, Just to see him being less scared to shoot it is encouraging. So, now to Lowry Markinen and Chris Dunn's numbers, which 
I'm getting tired of reading all this, oh, we're regressing, we're this, we're that. You can't regress if you never had anything to build on to begin with. The Bulls had 12 or 13 games in which they played together last season, the majority of which involved Zach Levine on a minutes restriction coming back from his ACL, Chris Dunn coming back from a concussion, Lowry marketing in between his back spasms in and out, and then tanking and staggering them and not playing them properly to begin with. The Bulls have been tinkering with rotations and lineups so much that there has been no continuity, probably to the demise of the development this year. But the numbers would suggest what we want to see. Lowry Markinen, his field goal attempts are up in Boylan's system. Mind you, he only played one game as a backup in Hoiberg's system before Boylan took over. Chris Dunn played one game for Fred coming back from the birth of his child, then got injured, and really didn't play healthy under Fred. So both Lowry and Dunn have played strictly under Boylan this year. Their stats compared to last year in Fred's system without Zach Levine being there to hog the ball consistently in their games last year. Here are the comparisons of their stats. Lowry Markinen is taking 14.4 field goal attempts to 12.7 that he took last year. He's taking 6.2 three-point attempts to 5.9 that he took last year. He's shooting 37% three-point compared to his 36 last year. He has 16.5 points to his 15.2 points. So his points, his three-point percentage, his field goal attempts, and his three-point attempts are all up from Magical Fred's offensive system. His rebounds are down. That is discouraging. His field goal percentage as a whole is down a little bit, and that'll happen if you're shooting more threes, which I think we actually would prefer to see out of Lowry at this point since a good amount of the mass and muscle that he put on in this offseason went to waste when he was inactive with his elbow injury. So now for Chris Dunn, who has decreased his field goals by at least 1.1 attempts. He's taking 11.7 this year to 12.8 last year. He is currently, after his abysmal game last night, averaging 12.8 points to the 13.4 that he had last year, but still taking over one less field goal. He has 6.7 assists to 6 assists. He has 0.3 less turnovers with 0.7 more assists. He's shooting 46% from the field opposed to his 43%. He's shooting 33% from the three-point line opposed to his 32%. And he's shooting 79% from the free-throw line opposed to his 73% last year. So if Lowry Markkinen and Chris Dunn have either maintained or upped their averages playing next to Zach Levine, what is the problem? I thought that is exactly what we needed to see. Our concerns were that Zach Levine was going to be too overpowering and too dominant, and he was going to negate the abilities that Chris Dunn and Lowry Markkinen brought to the table. If that is not the case, what are we freaking out about? I, I'm really getting confused with the hypocrisy that is going on on Twitter consistently. Last year, we couldn't tank well enough. This year, apparently, the Bulls are too bad, and they're tanking too well. And that doesn't make any sense, because if you look at the roster, last year we started with Miritich, Holiday, Rolo, all is starters. They were our projected starters. They were in our lineup opening day if Nico didn't have his face broken and Lowry didn't have to step up. But we played Nico into trade value. We were able to move him. Nobody would take Holiday or Rolo's contract off of our hands last year for anything of value. That's why we had to hold on to them. 
I'd imagine if we were offered two seconds in Wayne Selden for Holiday last year that we would have taken it in a snap because that deal is looking fantastic because Selden himself has outperformed Holiday since being traded to the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies have sustained some injuries. So now the second that they traded us, instead of being, you know, 40 to 50, is going to be somewhere 35 to 40 more likely. So that is a major benefit. So now you take the veterans out of the equation who have played this season a lot less in general. You insert two rookies and a whole bunch of G-leaguers that were playing on the Windy City Bulls last year. And then Jabari Parker and his $20 million contract that ate up the rest of the Bulls cap that most of us would have preferred they used in a cap dump, meaning that would have been dead cap anyway and not benefiting us. We would have just had an extra first. And seeing as we haven't seen what we got back or for Jabari yet, or Portis, or Rolo, or any of our expiring contracts, we don't know what the Jabari signing means in its totality. It is very possible that the Bulls trade Bobby Portis because he is easier to trade to a team, probably has more value to a team because his contract is that much easier to move. He would be an instant upgrade to many playoff teams. We've seen Bobby perform in the Celtics series, He showed out in his first playoff experience. Bobby probably stole us one of those games. So Bobby can make an impact on any team that he goes to the same way that Jabari could, but moving Jabari is just a lot more difficult. And obviously Jabari's contract is controlled in a lot different way because he's a team option for $20 million, where Portis is just a restricted free agent rookie contract. So a team could either make him a solid offer or he could refuse to take an offer and kind of force his way into unrestricted free agency by just taking a qualifying offer. So we don't know how the Jabari situation is going to unravel fully yet. What we do know is Jabari stepped in when both of our power fours were down. He played himself into shape. Last night we saw Jabari in the role that he is probably best fit for, In a burst scoring role off the bench, he was successful. The game was on national television. It was against the Lakers. It was somewhat embarrassing for the rest of our team on a night where Levine was too passive and was forcing passes as much as he was forcing shots. And Lowry Markkinen took the most shots on the team, but Jabari Parker outscored him in four less field goal attempts. So that kind of stuff is is concerning, and I understand Lowry Markkinen's lack of assertion and his inconsistency is frustrating because we all see how great he is. But I think what we also have to understand is all of these players are trying to learn how to play with each other and not step on each other's toes. Last night we watched Lowry Markkinen pass up an open three to a wide open Chris Dunn, and most times, yes, that is the smart play. Pass up a good shot for a great shot. But... The shot that Lowry had was great for him. The shot that Dunn had might not even be good for him at this point of his career. So we need to see Lowry wanting to shoot the ball. And I can't kill him for being an amazing team player and being team-oriented and willing to sacrifice because that's going to be beneficial going forward too. But we need to see that he can develop that killer instinct that we saw in his first home game back this year when we beat the Thunder. So there's a lot that needs to be improved on. Chris Dunn really killed me last night, seeing Lonzo Ball draining threes after a rough start, after seeing him and Dunn being physical with each other, 
and done just not performing. He was two of seven. It's not like he overshot. He just wasn't successful. He had five turnovers, four assists. It was just a very ugly game for Chris Dunn, and we have to hope that there's not very many more of those to finish the year. Hopefully he finishes strong and can give the front office an indication of where they need to go because if he leaves it within reasonable doubt, you cannot take somebody like Ja Morant out of consideration because he will only be 20 years old, and while he does have similar flaws to Dunn, he is averaging five turnovers currently per game, though he is averaging a near triple-double, a near 25-point triple-double. So it's rather magnificent what he's doing with the amount that he's controlling the ball. But he does have similar flaws. He is only a 30% three-point shooter in college. He is only a 70% free-throw shooter in college. Both things that are flaws of Dunn's, obviously. Ja has more time to improve on them from a potential standpoint. Though Chris Dunn, I would like to add, has yet to play 82 games as a starter in the NBA because of his mistreatment in Minnesota by Thibs and all of his fluke injuries that he's had here in Chicago. He has played, I believe, under 70 games as a starter. So to be averaging on average around 13 points per game, 6.5 assists on half the amount of turnovers, 45% field goal, 33% three-point, and about 75% free throw, I think there's room to grow for Chris Stunt. And he's still a very good perimeter defender, though he does have to work on his pick and roll because we did see Lonzo burn him a couple times. I have to wonder if Dunn went out and had a drink or two after his scuffle with Rolo. I'm sure for him not being on the leadership committee is probably internally conflicting because from my perspective on the outside, I'd assume Chris Dunn had to be on the leadership committee because he is the most vocal on both ends of the ball and he is one of the few players on this team that plays both ends of the ball to where he can hold his teammates accountable. So that was always kind of bizarre to me. Maybe with Holiday gone, Rolo on his way out, and maybe even Portis getting traded, the leadership committee will be down to two, and then Dunn can uh, take his rightful spot with Wendell Carter Jr. And maybe that that's the plan all along. Putting Justin Holiday on the leadership committee uh, appears to have netted an extra second-round pick. So, I, all jokes aside, I think the Holiday move is positive. I'm still hanging on to that. I can't believe that we... Rob the Grizzlies. I do agree with the eye test that Markinen and Dunn need to do better around Zach Levine and in Boylan's system, but a lot of that is going to come with chemistry. You have to remember, they just played the first five or six consecutive games as a core together, ever. Healthy. They've been previously injured. I don't even know if they're at 20 games in total yet together. With Wendell Carter Jr., they're at six. So let's try to hold back the expectations. We really cannot be the kind of fan base that tears our players apart. Zach Levine's averaging 23 points, four assists, and four rebounds. He's shooting better field goal, three-point free throw, and true shooting percentage 
than most of the shooting guards around the league, like Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, and Victor Oladipo. And he's shooting more. So if he's shooting more and he's shooting at a higher percentage, at 23 years old in the situation that we're in, and Lowry and Dunn are coexisting around him, granted his stats are inflated from earlier in the season when he was working alone, but his efficiency has improved since they've came back, contrary to popular belief. So have some patience. Things are not nearly as bad as people are making them. I don't understand this constant beating the dead horse of how horrible Boylan is. The Bulls hired the best assistant coach on their bench from within to an interim-like contract. He is not even guaranteed over a million dollars for next year. Before he got the promotion, he was guaranteed $800,000 next year as an assistant. I do not know why you would give a coach a partial guarantee if you didn't intend on keeping your options open. Maybe incentivized for him to work harder, but if you have to put it in there, there is clearly reasonable doubt within your decision to keep him long-term. And as we saw with Hoiberg, NBA coaches rarely go into the last year of their contract without getting fired or extended. Next year is the last year of Jim Boylan's contract. The Bulls just made $700,000 after paying the Brooks waiver off in acquiring Michael Carter-Williams for a technicality of a second-round pick next year. So we have to be patient, and I understand the frustrations, I understand the distrust, I understand the initial overreactions. But when you take a step back and you look at the coaching situation, you have to think to yourself that they are at the very least keeping their options open. This is standard procedure for when a coach gets fired midseason. There is less head coaching options in the middle of the season because a lot of teams will wait till the end of the season to fire a coach because they don't want an interim situation. Most of those teams are likely trying to compete still, though we did see Milwaukee fire Jason Kidd and have an interim go throughout the whole season and make the playoffs. Their roster construction was much different. If you look at Cleveland, Larry Drew had to deny the interim coach title and sit down and negotiate a contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers similar to Jim Boylan's. He has a non-guaranteed amount of money as an interim coach guaranteed to him next year. So I think we need to tone down the Boylan is a horrible fit because even if he is, you're losing sleep and stressing yourself out for nothing. Fred was not insurmountably better. Most people wanted Fred gone too. On a good coaching staff, Fred is probably the offensive assistant, Boylan's the defensive assistant, and you have an established head coach that takes both of their systems and implements them into his own with his own twist. So I think going into this offseason, if we have a top five pick, a top 40 second round pick, $40 million in cap, and the ability to sign a new head coach and completely put the kibosh on our tanking days, I don't know what more fans want from this season. If you looked at the roster in the beginning of the year and you felt that we were destined for greatness, I'm sorry. I don't know where you got those assumptions. The team got younger and less experienced. They had a Jabari Parker who was benched in preseason, had a rookie small forward start ahead of him out of position, and then was benched entirely once the full team got healthy. It is clear the Bulls really do not have any intentions of trying to win this year. It is hurting the culture and the development, in a sense. But by the raw numbers, 
with our players playing together, which we had fears of them coexisting with Zach Levine, their numbers are up or they are the same, and we are doing fine. So give it some patience. Lower the expectations. We can't run players out of town before they even get the opportunity here. It's damn near embarrassing. I don't expect you to fawn over every single one of our prospects and pretend that they're the next Jason Kidd like Lakers fans do with Lonzo Ball. But I, I suggest giving them a chance, cheering them on even when they're doing crappy. Don't shit on them when they're down. Like, What is the point of Chris Dunn having his worst game as a Chicago Bull, bringing up the same exact issue that we've had with Chris Dunn previously? I don't know if you knew that Chris Dunn sucks at three-pointers. But if you didn't, I just wanted to remind you after he had his worst game, as if he didn't have a game less than two weeks ago with 17 assists, 16 points on six of nine field goal, and two of three from three-point to two turnovers. So you got to appreciate the good and be realistic with the bad. Be overly critical. He does need to increase his three-point ability because it is hurting the offense when he passes up an open look and he doesn't drive properly and he passes out and he creates a turnover. He's hurting himself. I'd rather him shoot the ball and miss the three than make a stupid turnover. So I think we can all agree on a lot of the problems that our players need to work on. Like Lowry needs a better post game. Zach needs to find the balance between being too aggressive and being too passive. I think having players like Chandler Hutchison and Wendell Carter Jr. in between the original three that we acquired are the kind of complementary pieces that you need around them to allow them to adapt to each other. So hopefully the last 38 games, we do get some wins. And as a Tank fan that really hopes we're in the bottom three, that way the farthest we can fall is seventh if we're third, since there is four lottery slots that are drawn for now. Ultimately, wherever you finish in the lottery standings, you have the possibility of falling as far as four slots back. At third, the possibility of falling to seventh is a 7% chance. So it's very minimal, but the Bulls have... Drafted well at 7th previously, landing 3rd going into lottery night, I would be very content knowing that our worst-case scenario has been our best-case scenario the last two years. So I want to thank you again for your time. I, I appreciate you for your support on Twitter. I hope you continue to do so. We're going to get through this together, and if the Bulls go into the offseason and they keep Jim Boylan, they make horrible offseason decisions that make it seem like they are tanking or trying to throw a season again, I will be just as pissed off as some of you are currently. But until then, I have to sit here and put confidence, though it is very difficult to do in this front office, that they are going to do the right thing with a pretty much perfectly set up clean slate going into next year. They nail the draft pick, draft picks, and they add solid veterans, and they insert some win-now pieces in the East. Making the playoffs isn't out of the picture. 38 wins in the East can get you into the playoffs. The eighth seed is currently the Hornets, who are three games under 500. So the future is really not as far away as it feels. This is dreadful. It sucks. Games like the Lakers are inexcusable because we should not be losing to equal or lesser talent in that ugly of a fashion. But 
we have 38 games to redeem ourselves. Hopefully we do so. And if we don't, the worst thing that happens is we have a higher slot in the lottery and we can fall a little less further back. So thank you again for listening to the Believers Podcast. Until next time, go Bulls. Go Bulls.